Um, tonight, I just want you to bear with me. Um, the Holy Spirit's been talking to me, and as I've been preparing for this lesson, and I was telling Kelly even this evening as I rewrote what I was going to talk about, and I just, you know, sometimes I just can't be restricted by, by notes, but um, I'm just really kind of preaching to myself tonight uh, in a way. But I believe if, if, if we all stay engaged and, and get something out of this, there's, um, it can be very impactful what's going to be shared tonight, not only for you, but for those around you that you have influence over. Um, I've entitled tonight's lesson, Loving the Unlovable. And this is speaking to me. So um, as, I, as I contemplated on this, you know, the Lord's just been putting in my heart, and I've met some folks recently who... Noah would deem unlovable. But you remember that diagram that Pastor did, and he had the three circles, and on the outer circle was kind of the influence of the, are your senses and the, and the world, and then the soul was the, the, the second circle, and the bullseye was the Holy Spirit or the inner man. I almost have a visual. I mean, I literally, as I'm functioning now, since that teaching, I can almost see that target. And you'll get that a little bit more as I speak. But as I've been contemplating loving the unlovable, I'm asking the Lord, how? I mean, surely you don't mean everybody. I mean, that's my first, I mean, everyone? And so, and, and yes, the answer is yes. And I, we'll get into that. But uh, I had a friend. Um, well, this image came to me, and, and this kind of helped me in my juvenile years. I had a friend named George in high school, George Gonzalez. My brother's here in the room, and I'm sure you remember George. But uh, we went to high school together, and um, George was kind of a, a wild kid, and um, but he was he was also pretty level-headed, and he was, he was actually really smart, and he was involved in a scholastic bowl. And in this scholastic bowl, it was set up almost like a game show, and the, there, there was a, the teacher, Miss Lemon, was inquiring of the students, and they were to hit a buzzer before they answered the question. Well, the question came about, who wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? George hit the button and started laughing. And he's, he's, he's just kind of giggling. And it was a fun event, but he was laughing a little bit more than he probably should have. And it, it continued, and he had 10 seconds to answer this question. And as he was, everybody's waiting, you know, listening to, to hear what he's got to say, and he didn't, he didn't answer the question. It was the last question of that scholastic bowl. And his team lost because he couldn't answer the question. He would have thought he froze. Well, Miss Lemon, being his teacher and knew him well, said, come here. We need to talk. And nobody was privy to the, to the conversation that took place. But George was my friend. So after the whole thing was said and done, I mean, he was still laughing even after everybody cleared the room. And I'm like, what is up, man? And he, uh, he, he laughed. He said, I was, I was thinking about Vern. Jules Verne wrote 20,000 Leagues in the Sea, but there was a kid named Verne in our high school. And he was, well, first of all, I mean, he did have some hygiene issues. He didn't concern himself with certain things he probably should have. His style was a little unorthodox. We didn't, you know, we were kind of clicky in high school, you know. Now, mind you, I graduated from a high school. My graduating class had 2,500 people. 2,500 people actually graduated in my school, G. Holmes Braddock. It's a very large school. So to be noticed in that school, you had to be outstanding. Well, Jules was outstanding. I'm sorry, uh, Vern was outstanding. His style was unorthodox. He was kind of aloof. 
and uh, we just, he, you know, he got gigged all the time, and, and I regret to admit that I was part of that gigging, and, and I've repented since for that. But the point to be made here is that Vern was the, the, the point of, he was the laughing stock, and as a result, George couldn't answer that question because all he could think about was Vern writing a book. And it was just comical to him, like, yeah, right, Vern write a book. And it was so bad that they, he lost the, he lost the team. Well, I asked him, well, what did, what did she say to you? What did Miss Lennon say? She pulled him aside, and I was curious. I've got to know. What did she say? And I wrote it down as I remembered it. Um, what makes you think he's so unlovable that he doesn't deserve simple respect? That's what, that's what George told me. And that stuck with me. And this is a secular situation. We're not in a church school. This is, I'm not a Christian school. This is, I mean, we are actually, we had a pretty bad bunch um, in my high school. But even in the secular society, they, under, they get that precept. So I thought, well, how many of us know a Vern in our life? Maybe it was in high school. Maybe there's someone in your office right now that's just the, just the center of, of the life. You know, everybody just gigs them and... and you know, maybe you've been participating in that. Maybe you know somebody who's been participating in that. And um, I think I even shared with Robert that um, I was going to be talking on this tonight because um, he was with me just recently um, when I when I had the opportunity to meet someone whom Noah deemed unlovable at that moment. I'm going to share more about that. But I started thinking about all the people that were downright unlovable. The strange outcasts like Vern. There were kids like um, Todd, grew up in our neighborhood, back in Miami, Florida, growing up again as a kid. Todd was a bully. He was he was not only unlovable, he, it was hard not to hate him. I mean, it was that kind of guy where he just was, he was just hard to, to get around. And um, I asked the Lord, you know, even people like that? I'm supposed to love even people like that. Yeah, even people like that. Well, then as I, as I meditated on today, I said, you know, what about, what about today in my life? Are there those, I'm starting to get real introspective here now, and, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with me. This past week, I tell you, it was like, if I could have recorded the conversation between me and the Lord, we'd have some kind of seminar to, uh, to present. But, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of customers. Being that I own a construction company, I deal with a lot of customers. Some people say, oh, it must be great being your own boss. I laugh about that because... I'm, I'm, I have a lot of bosses. I don't even know who my boss is going to be from week to week. But, um, you know, a lot of my customers can quickly, you know, teeter on uh, being unlovable at times. And I'm sure they would say the same about me. Um, coworkers. How many of you have coworkers that you might deem unlovable? Don't say the names. Refrain. Um, and then I think about authorities in our lives. You know, some directly over us. And then there's even, you know, there's police officers, there's, you know, there's, there's things even up to the presidents and uh, CEOs of your companies. Or I mean, there's, there's just people that have been placed over us. A lot of times they can be deemed as unlovable in our eyes. But as a Christian, I'm supposed to love them all? Well, I believe that the toughest teaching that Jesus ever brought to the table was in Mark 12, 31. Y'all are so familiar with this, but it says, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I was reflecting on that, and um, before Jesus came to the scene, 
there was no lack of order in that we had the Ten Commandments. The, God had spoke to us through um, Moses and given us the tablets, and, and so we had law. We had a way to distinguish right from wrong. Our sin was exposed, and so there was a set of rules that we could be lived by, but what happened was in our flesh, man took those rules and made slaves of those around them. You know, everyone that would, that would come under that authority, um, it was just, it was, it was, it was just cruel, and there was no love, no grace, no mercy. It was just, these are the rules, and this is what we do. And I believe Jesus, his purpose that for coming here was to dispel the fact that people were, were taking advantage of these commandments. And the neatest thing about the scriptures, and at least from my perspective, is that Jesus came that he might fulfill the law, right? We all know that. But when he did that, the law then became no longer law, but a promise. But a promise. Because if we are abiding in love and in God and in, in, in walking in all that Jesus died for, then all the promises that we get are written right there in the Ten Commandments. You shall not lie. If you truly love in your heart, then you won't covet your neighbor's wife. You won't steal if you truly have love in your heart. So I say that because it sounds easy to love our neighbor until you try it, especially when you're, when you're sub, you know, subjected to those unlovables in your life. But he didn't, now this is cool, he didn't say you have to like him. He just, he said you do have to love him. There's going to be often times that we, we don't necessarily like everybody, but we're not subject to, to what we like. But we are called and, and ordered to love everyone as he has loved us. And there, you'll, you'll get more out of this in just a minute. But we don't get to choose who our neighbor is. Now, it's everyone from, from the Verns in my life, the Todds, or even your big brother who sits you in a puddle, while he and his friends decide they're going to ride their bikes. I'm going to go pick on them. While he and his friends decide they're going to ride their bikes, set you in the middle of a puddle and skid and see if they could soak you. Now, mind you, I enjoyed that as a little kid because, I mean, it was I'm in the water. But how cruel could you be? Gosh. I didn't. <laughs> there were days when I didn't necessarily like my brother, but I've always loved him. And I, I can get that from him. But, you know, I asked, you know, are, were Jesus' expectations too high of us? He knows that we're a fallen vessel. He knows all that we are. And, um, and that's the cool thing about Jesus. He wasn't just God on high shouting down orders. You know, he wasn't a, what do they call him, an armchair quarterback? Is that what it is? When you know, there, How many of you have known a man to sit in front of the television and yell at the quarterback and tell him, you ought to be doing this, you know, whenever he's watching sports or, or even sitting in the bleachers saying, oh, come on, you ought, you know, get on the field. Well, Jesus was in the field. He came, he lived, he experienced and if you think that you have unlovables in your life, picture those men who Jesus surrounded himself with. He had, a, he had his share of Ferns and Todds, I'm sure, but he understood two important truths that we need to get a hold of in our own life. Everyone is created in God's image. Everyone. So if you're worthy of love, if I'm worthy of love, then so is everyone else because of who made them. Now, in and of ourselves, no, we're not worthy of that love. But it's because of who made made us that we're worthy. I mean, naturally, because of sin, we're all unlovable. 
Christ changed rules by offering grace and forgiveness. Well, if God can love us, we can love those around us. But the practical thing is here is how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, Pastor shared, for those of you who were here that Sunday, when Pastor Tracy unknowingly sat on a stool up here, Pastor asked him to come sit on a stool, and he had prepared the water and a rag. <laughs> she was wearing hose. Unfortunately, I remember that. But he came and he washed her feet before us. I'm still moved by by what I saw that day. And he just it was a precept that he was explaining, but I saw that heartfelt move in him to serve his wife and to honor his wife in that manner. And it just reminds me on a regular basis of Jesus at the Last Supper sitting around with his disciples knowing what he knew. He knew those, were gonna, those who were going to betray him, leave him, deny him. He knew it. You talk about a hard-to-like bunch of people. But what did he do? He gets up from the meal, wraps himself in a towel, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. That image of our, that's our role model. Jesus Christ is our role model. Placed in the midst of those who are about to deceive him and put him on a cross. I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but wow. What does it look like to serve? In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So as I'm, as I'm contemplating what I'm going to talk about tonight and, and I'm asking the Lord for revelation and, and a new fresh word, you know, he's putting, for some reason, I, I don't know if I'm just called to exhortation. I'm not much of a, a philosopher, a theologian, or even a teacher for that matter. But I, I just believe that there's, a, there's a, an exhortation that wants to ooze out of me. And the only thing that really I can wrap my, my spirit around at this point in my life is his love. And nothing is going to work in all the teachings that we do and all the churches that there are across America and even all over the world and even in, in Charleston alone. Without love, it's, it's going to be a dead work. It's just going to be a dead work. And if we are called to be his disciples, we've just got to, we've got to be recognized by the love. We have got to be recognized by the love. You know why um, athletes make the best sports announcers because they've played the game. They've won and they've lost. If we're going to be called to witness to folks and announce the gospel to the world, we've got to spend some time in the playing field. And that looks like winning and losing. And, and it hurts a lot of times. There's, there's a lot of 
It's not easy. It's a dirty job to be a Christian, to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, not the American Christian. I'm talking about a true follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came here, lived a perfect life, died on a cross so that we might be able to spread that, win souls, make disciples, and live happily ever after. Um, so right in this, in this scenario where Jesus is at the, the table, we see that he's loving, he's showing us how to love the unlovables. And this is what gets me. He didn't just tolerate them, like so many of us do. We'll just, or just not make fun of them. Or pretend to love them. Instead, he served them. It's that simple. It's so simple. The gospel is so simple. So simple yet so pure. And here's why. Serving gives us an easy way to show Christ's love. I mean, naturally, yeah, it's the thing to do. We should do it because God says, okay, that's great. Let's go a little further. It helps us show the love of Christ. We will be known by our fruit. We will be known by our fruit. It's not just some mushy, hard-to-grasp emotion, but it's an action. Serving someone, the second thing, serving someone has a way of changing the way that we see them. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever prayed for somebody you're just really upset at? Do you find yourself starting to like them as you start to see them through God's eyes and you're, and you're, you're asking the Lord to bless them? It's just amazing how, I mean, if, if nothing more, do it for yourself. Not really. I, I don't recommend that. Definitely. But, but you definitely want to do it. You want to do it because it's, it's a principle. I believe God blesses us. When he talks about blessing as we obey his commands and as we do what we're called to do, it's funny how it, it blesses us. It's sacrifice, yes, but it comes back to us, and, and it's just it's amazing. Now, of course, it would be weird to whip out a towel and lather up your boss's feet in the office. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you go to your office and ask your boss if you can wash his feet, literally. However, but it does. there is, there is some, some things that we can do. And um, when we were at Pastor Rick's church at Band of Brothers, a, a few of us guys um, were able to go. And I just want to take this second to exhort men in this room, if you've never been to Band of Brothers, we are going to be doing it again. I speak to every single man within earshot. You need to sign up for Band of Brothers. We have about a year to plan for it. And um, wow. Let me just tell you, wow. It is a growth experience. This concludes that commercial. Um, but Rick, uh, Pastor Rick's church, we, we were there. And uh, he had this uncanny ability to challenge at least me, I don't know if it spoke to everyone else, but to challenge me to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. And he didn't even, he didn't say those words, but what he did say was, get out a pen, get out a pad, write this stuff down because you're going to use it. In just a minute here, I'm going to propose something to you that you can use. This is a practical way of being a Christian. So um, it, it's rather short. You can, you can remember it, but I do want to encourage you to get this down. Serving your, your hard-to-loves starts with praying for them. That's truly the birthplace of all things good. You start by praying for them. Then you're going to have to look for opportunities to serve them. 
And there are opportunities. There are always opportunities. And I'm going to give you some suggestions here towards the end. Um, you know, it could be, and some small suggestions. I mean, open the door for somebody. I know those are small. You know, spotting, you know, buying somebody lunch. Just saying, hey, I just want to, I just want to bless you. you know, buy you lunch and let's hang out and let's talk. Those little gestures do make make go a big way, a, a long way. Um, because what I see happening in the church today, not so much in our local church, um, but it tends to be, it turns into like this exclusive club that, you know, the, the church in and of itself is not supposed to be exclusive. It's an inclusive club. Everyone is invited. And what we do is if we take down that, that wall of love that we're supposed to exude to the world, if we're not, if we're not openly loving people, then what happens is we we form our own little cliques and everybody goes to lunch with the same little group every week. And those newcomers or those that are looking just don't feel they, like they fit in because there's so many impenetrable cliques. And we need to evaluate those. When we step out of those comfort zones, we step out of our little comfort zones and we invite people in and we can love them, especially the ones that you'd rather not to. I'd just really rather not those are probably the ones God's speaking to your hearts right now. We need to do that. Um, loving people is a choice. And it truly is. In Galatians 5.13, um, it puts it like this. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty or freedom. Only do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It is so awesome that we are free in Christ. One of the greatest things that I've experienced, and in fact, I was on a, I was on that newborn high for a long time, just enjoying freedom. And Eddie James at Ski Invasion said it as, as this. There's no more shackles, no more chains. I am free. And I remember going to that Ski Invasion and hearing him teach. Ski Invasion is where we go off to Gatlinburg with the youth. And, um, and it's, a, it's a big worship session. But um, I had been through Encounter here. I, my chains had been broken. I had been set free. And I just felt the liberty of freedom. And, and it's great. And you get on this high, and it's just, a, it's, it's great. But we can't allow that freedom to have us become self-absorbed and focus only on ourselves. Because it says, not, the, the Word says not to use that freedom or that liberty as an opportunity just for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So that, that that just sums it up. That's what we're called to do. Um, just recently, Robert and I were out in the parking lot, and uh, we're talking to a particular person. I was I was in a hurry. I was going somewhere, and I didn't really want to. I didn't want to deal with anything petty, if you will. And a situation came about where I viewed this as petty at the moment. Somebody wanted to talk to me about some things that, you know, about the Bible. And there was a, kind of a quiz, you know, why do you do what you do? Or are you guys, you know, believers? In, and it was just one of those, I felt like I was being um, interrogated. I don't know if some of y'all felt that before. As, you know, as a, are, you're not denominational, really, so what do you believe then? And, and do you have snakes in your church? And, and, oh, well, and, and I felt this, this urge to just say, it's not worth it, let me just leave. Well, at that moment, I just this is when this message was birthed. This individual, I don't know, I just, I kind of, I, I submitted myself to the Lord at that moment. I was, I was actually kind of proud of myself because it was, it wasn't one of those where you get down the road and you're, 
thinking, man, I should have, I should have just been a little more patient, or I should have listened, or should have, could have, would have, but I didn't. And it was actually a, a rare moment for me where I actually did what I wish I would have right then. And that was just submit myself to the Lord and say, all right, Father. Noah die, Christ live. Hi, I'm, I'm Noah, nice to meet you. What's going on? And it was, it was weird. It was, I, you know, like I told you before, I can almost visualize this, that, that, that diagram that Pastor Drew. I could see myself initially being influenced by my senses. I'm in a hurry. I'm, I'm, I don't want to deal with this. I don't like the questions that are being asked. You know, it was me, 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 me. And then just as, as I stopped, I said, Lord, no, just this. If, if we're praying for divine opportunities or divine appointments, I can almost guarantee you they're not going to be convenient. If we're praying that the Lord put people in our path that we can minister to and be a light to and salt to and all that stuff we cheer for and we quack, quack, quack on Sunday mornings. If you weren't here for the conference, I'm sorry, that made no sense. But we, we get all rah, rah about and we go outside and we, we get those opportunities to do it. Well, this was one of those opportunities for me and I was, I was battling with it. But I, it's like I saw my, my source of me shifted from that outer ring, which was the flesh, to the inner man. And I just heard a voice inside almost say, this is my kid. You watch it. I love this person. Who are you to determine his worth? For, it was just kind of a, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hi, I'm here to serve you. It's like if you're a waiter working at a, at a restaurant, you don't know. You. I just All I know is I'm, I'm hired to serve you, and I'll get you whatever you want. And that's the feeling that I had inside, and it just allowed me to, to listen. And I believe that that spoke more loudly than a thousand sermons of just preaching and going into, to, and then living differently. Just that one instant, but just that quickly, the Lord just, he did it. And it made me aware of the power that we have as Christians, because that was, that's, that's major, at least for me. I have, you know, as a male, I don't know if it's just being a male, but pride that just rises up so frequently. And I don't always have the ability. I'm looking around the room and I see every single person in here has got, we all have pride. And it manifests in different ways. But if we could just cause ourselves to, to stop and, and hear what the Lord is saying, especially in dealing with his children, whoa, he can, he can, what pride? He can, he can blot that out just like he would your name in the book of life if you don't submit, right? Just, no, no, I'm just kidding. He won't, he won't blot your name out just for one bad act. But it is a choice. And so as I, as, as I consider that, I just, I remember that, it is a, I, I had to choose. I had to make that decision because everything about me didn't want to do, didn't want to submit in that manner. Um, I exposed my heart and, and my feelings, and just that quickly, the Holy Spirit redirected the source in which I drew my, my mind, my will, and my emotions from. I felt convicted. In a, in a, I felt convicted of the unloving way that I had treated this person in my attitude and heart when I should have been moving by compassion and love. So first came repentance. And it was it was truly it was truly one of those instances where it was an ouch. You know, this person didn't I don't suspect was discerning my I don't want to say hatred, that's a strong word because I didn't know them to hate them, but it was a it was a I don't like you right now. I don't I don't know who you are, but I really don't like this conversation, I don't like where it's going, I'm in a hurry, I don't have time for you, you're not that important to me. Is I was hoping that that didn't 
come out of me and just him seeing me. And I don't think it did because he came that night actually, and um, it was just it was just really cool. And I, I've I've repented over and over again, and I felt the Lord say, "It's okay, chill. You've already you've got that under the blood. Relax." But I still there's that feeling that that comes up inside of us. But um, there's so much unjustified hatred in this world, and Christians are are amongst some of the worst because we're we know better. We should know better. And it's a slap on the face to Jesus Christ who did what he did so that we can live the way he's called us to live. And it's just, it hurts. It really does. It hurts the Holy Spirit. And if he's dwelling in us, it should hurt us too. And it's, it's prolific throughout the church. I believe that that's why we're not seeing the multiplication we'd like to see amongst believers. We're not seeing the gifts and miracles functioning in the earth like it says in the word of God. Those are promises to us. And we are to see those things taking place before our own eyes. We are empowered through the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ to lay hands on the sick that they be healed and recovered fully 100%, no questions asked. That power exists in us. But if we do not love, then that gift is going to be stifled. It's going to be, it's going to be the sackcloth gets thrown over the Holy Spirit that abides within us if we choose, and it is a choice, not to love and not to live in love and not to walk out love as God, through His Son Jesus Christ, so loved us. It's a big, it's a tall order, and it's very serious. And in these days, we can't afford. God's doing a work, and we're in a we're in a church where we are under uh, leadership, even right here. That um, these principles have been sown into us. We are no, we have no excuse for not functioning in the manner that we're we're talking about tonight. We just we really don't have the excuse. God is going to use us even in Legacy Church, to change the cultural climate of the United States of America and, yes, the world. I believe that there are world changers in this congregation unlike those in any other congregation. Not to say that any other congregation is any better or worse, but I know from the anointing that is on our pastor and the obedience that he abides in and the teaching that we have, the full gospel, truth, the whole truth, that we get to listen to on a weekly basis and, and we take serious in our day. We are empowered. We are dangerous. But that doesn't amount to junk if we are not functioning in love. And I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not. Jesus died on the cross for us. Talk about unlovables. And he willingly crawled up on a cross. And that part of his life was probably better than the three years prior when he received the Holy Spirit and had to live amongst us and get spit at and ridiculed. He couldn't minister to his family. And there's so many of us in this room right now that have family that just won't receive from us. It's, and it's a uh, so we he relates to, he relates to us on so many levels and yet he's called us to this task it was not too much to ask and it's something we're going to have to strive for all the days of our life again it's the invasion um, Eddie James I told you about him the worship team and the theme to this last year's ski invasion do y'all remember what it was oh all right we'll have a test on Monday. 
Love can change the world. Simple thing. Kind of catchy. The font was really cool. It was really marketable. You know, red letters on a black background with that, you know, edgy kind of feel to it, man. There was teens buying these shirts. They must have made $70,000 in t-shirt sales because it was just it was cool. But love can change the world. Love can change the world. Love did change the world, didn't it? This wasn't in my notes. It just hits me in the waves. It's, it's just the Holy Spirit. I believe He's excited right now because this is what this is what the world needs to hear anymore. It's simple love. Let's just start. Let's just get that down. We want to see the moving of the Spirit in the local church. You see the masses delivered. But I'll tell you this right now: that there is no substitute for love. There's no programs, no classes, no sermons, no cell groups, no jazzy jewels, no iron men. There's no substitute for love. Jesus made it clear, I believe, that when he saw how empowered people were by the law and he came to demonstrate love, that he knew that that was the thing that was going to change everything. We went from Ten Commandments to two. I'm, I'm thankful because I couldn't remember the Ten Commandments. I mean, it was just like, but just two, just love. Love me and love, love just love. Love everything. Be mushy. Love. It's it's simple, yet so hard in our flesh. I mean, it's just, we need to challenge ourselves in this. We need to be challenged in this. Jesus made it clear that we're supposed to love. All right. Here's the challenge. I'm going to try to be tangible here. I'm going to try to give you something that you can take. And this is simple. I mean, I, I know I might have built this up to like, all right, here it comes. You guys ready? Drum roll, please. Where's Robert? Give me a drum roll. No. Look for unlovables in your life. Seek them out. And you remember the you remember those. Um, this actually just came to mind. There was a gentleman, I forget, it was a, it was a, a well-known televangelist, mega church leader, Driving down the road, got cut off, and I believe even flipped off. And and I mean, he he was given the opportunity to um to be very fleshy and justifiably fleshy. You know, hey, he cut me off, he flipped me off. I have the right to. I mean, he could have he could have struck an argument, and somebody else could have said, yeah, yeah, you're darn right. I'm surprised you didn't go and fill in the blank. Well, what he did was. He ended up pulling into a fast food restaurant, and this vehicle ended up behind him. And uh, he bought his lunch. He ordered, you know, I'll take a number three, supersize me, and what have you. And he said, and by the way, that SUV behind me, here's $20. Whatever they ordered, I want to pay for it. He took his happy meal and went off. I can imagine what that said to the person behind him, who just acted like a fool, unjustified, and now it's like salt on the wound, but salt nonetheless. Well, then there's the story about the, uh, 
I wish I, if I knew this this joke well enough, I'd, I'd really make you laugh. But I'm probably gonna bomb it. So maybe you could just laugh at that, and that would be the punch. But he, uh, this person was driving in a car and got pulled over, and the um, police officer came to the side of the vehicle. You know, kind of you know, had his hand on his arm, firearm, and said, uh, "You want to step out of the car?" And the person driving the car stepped out, scared, like, "What did I do? What did I do?" Get on your knees! Oh my gosh, what's up? I'm going to arrest you for a stolen vehicle. No, this is my car. Oh, no, it's not your car. What do you mean it's not my car? It's my car. I saw you cut that person off and flip them off. But you have a Jesus sticker on the back of your car. I know it can't be your car because Christians don't do that kind of stuff. But anyway, that was not salt. I mean, I might fall along the lines of vinegar or something. I don't know. Um, but think about someone that you consider unlovable. And I want you to write down why they're hard to love. Write down the things that irritate you. They're just mean. You know, they're always talking about themselves. They're, they think they're so good. You know, whatever. You know, just do your do your thing, right? I mean, put, put it out there for real. I'm not going to ask you to turn these in. I promise. But then I want, you to, I want you to take the time, even tonight, to ask yourself and write down a, one way that you can serve them. One way that you can serve them outside of prayer. I mean, you're going to pray for them. That's a, that, that is a given. I, I would expect that you would pray for them. But write down something tangible you can do to serve them. Figure something out. I mean, even if it's just buying a gift card or something and taking it to them, or, you know, a, a word of encouragement on a note. Do, uh, you know, Kelly's really good about that. She has a she has a heart. Um, the mailman will come. She'll just leave a card in the mailbox saying, hey, thanks, mailman. You're cool. Or, you know, just that, she doesn't write that. But she says something nice and makes them warm and fuzzy. Um, the second thing is do it. So you're, you've, you've, you've identified who, you know what, now you've written down that. Third thing, just big one, do it. And I challenge you, I really do challenge you. I would love to take a poll next Wednesday and, and ask who did this, who did it, who, who went out and did it. And I want to hear, I want to hear praise reports because they will have, most of them will have praise reports. Some of them will gradually work their way up to praise reports. Others will be skepticism and maybe a little ridicule, and then praise reports start flooding in. But I guarantee you, the ultimate, the, the end goal will be praise reports. There is, there is. Um, I'm not going to get on a on a soapbox, but there is so much hurt and pain and suffering, and I don't need to tell you. In the world, it's it's rampant. The enemy has such a foothold in this world, and I truly believe that love can change the world. But its application, love is a verb, and it should be an action. So I just want to challenge everyone tonight to take that word and, and go forth into the into your sphere of influence and do it. Amen.